0: Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi, everyone. This is Rohit from Riesel Mastery. I'm excited to have Nathan Festival. who's a VP products at Vector, which is a tr- trucking and logistics startup. Uh, Nathan is also a partner at Swell Ventures, which focuses on seed stage B2B SaaS only and invests in great companies that solve important business problems. Nathan was earlier partner at Flight VC, where he co-founder and managed the SaaS syndicate. Nathan was earlier in product roles at Zora and Salesforce. He's done his MBA from Inseed. uh Welcome to the show, Nathan.
1: Uh, thank you, Rohit, and uh, thank you to exposing me to all of your uh, audience.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's wonderful wonderful to have you here. Um, I I w- wanted to know, you know, how 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 was your start? Because you you uh, you you were born in Australia, and you know you went into this crazy world of startups. How how did the entire journey go around for you?
1: Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's a bit of a fun journey. Um, I won't go too far back because I'm sure your your audience doesn't want to know my entire life history. <laughs> um, but essentially, my my kind of journey uh, to the VC world and investing world started with my MBA at INSEAD. Uh, and so uh, for people who are not familiar with that, that's a European MBA that's based out of France and, and Singapore. It's a very well regarded MBA. Um, and I did that and I got the the kind of investing bug there. I met a lot of very interesting people. Um, that, uh, which is really the main reason you go do an MBA is you do an MBA to meet interesting people, um, and people that wanted to start companies, people that, you know, just had, had really good ideas. And, um, my first investment there was with a, a friend in my year that ended up creating a, an application for Indonesian farmers, would you believe? Um, and so this, uh, this app was essentially an SMS app. This was more than 10 years ago. So even before, um, you know, this was around 2009 before you had, you know, proliferation of, of smartphones and, and things like that. And so uh, this was an SMS app that would help them with their crops and help them improve their crops, tell them the current prices of their crops, um, all all very, very interesting. And um, and so when I left INSEAD, I, I put a little bit of money into his company, including going out and visiting farmers in Indonesia, uh, which was really fun. Yeah. So I actually visited the users. And so so that was good. And, And I made a small, you know, 5k investment there, you know, and never, never imagined that I'd ever see that money again. And then fast forward seven years later, I actually did get my money back. Uh, I got about uh, they ended up getting acquired by uh, one of the um, food conglomerates in Southeast Asia. Uh, I forget who precisely it's on my on my website. And um, uh, I made seven thousand dollars out of my five thousand dollars investment. <laughs> and so and so that that was kind of where I, I started to get the bug for investing. Um, and and so it all kind of started there. Uh, and then that kind of led into, uh, the sort of syndicates that I ended up doing, um, you know, a couple of years after that. So,
0: You know, I think I think it's super interesting. Uh, NCR is, I think, in the last couple of years done uh, a great job when it comes to you know entrepreneurship. Uh, seen a lot yeah. of NCR delving doing really well, yeah. especially in the in the European uh, ecosystem. And I think they 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 are in part with Howard and Stanford when it comes to. Yeah, you know, building unicorns, but uh, I don't have the data to back that up.
1: Yeah, one of the famous exits there is a blah, blah Car out yeah. in uh, France. So yeah. that was an NCAD alumni, and, and that was that was also a funny story. They, uh, they 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 found that idea because France transportation is always on strike, and so um, and so uh, the guy thought of this idea: why don't people share rides with each other? Right, if they're going in the same direction, and that's something that technology can help with, if we're both going in the same direction, and so it was all because of a France transportation strike that birthed that startup, and so uh, they they have a very interesting story as startups go. So.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think Zola because uh, is popular in Europe, but it's also popular in India, where I come from, but, uh, oh, really? But okay. yeah, it is uh, interesting, and uh, you know, so so you you caught a work from there, but how did how did you you know start your Work in Zora and Salesforce. So how did you get those opportunities, and how did you move to yeah. the US uh, ecosystem?
1: Yeah. So the the first I should I should explain probably what I do in, in kind of general, so that people don't get confused, and they're like, is this guy a VP of product, or is he an investor, or is he is he both? And the answer is is that I'm anything you want me to be, Rohit. So <laughs> um so the uh, my day job is as I'm a VP of product. Uh, at a, a Series B uh, company at the moment in trucking logistics, actually. Um, but when I finished my MBA, that's where I started my, my kind of road into product. Uh, so I started at a very small company called Aptus. Um, and they did um, primarily applications on top of the Salesforce platform. That's how I then got into Salesforce in product management at Salesforce. And I stayed there for about one to two years in an area called data.com. So at one point, data was going to be the fourth cloud of, of Salesforce. But uh, like, like most people wanting, uh, the other three clouds are, of course, sales service and, and marketing in, in Salesforce. And, um, and so at one point, data was going to be the fourth cloud. But for various reasons, it never, never eventuated like, like many things in life. Um, I stayed there for about two years and, and really... Uh, Salesforce is where I, I learned how to be a Silicon Valley product manager um, because, and I encourage your audience if they're thinking about product or someone's thinking about product, you need to go to a big company like that to teach you how to do product management. Um, they will they will teach you their flavor of product management, and so I very much am a product of Salesforce um, today. Um, and so from there, I went to Zuora where I managed their Salesforce applications and then eventually went into their core billing platform and I managed one of their core billing products. And uh, that kind of led me up to today where I'm now the VP of product at a a small series B uh, trucking logistics startup. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of my journey in, in product. And then along the way, I've, I've found that you know, many kind of opportunities have presented themselves to me in terms of investments. Um, when you're a product person and you're deep into CRM or you have domain expertise, people will naturally seek you out and they'll say, hey, you know, I've got this idea. What do you think of this idea? And um, one of those ideas was uh, really interesting that someone reached out to me. It was a company called Implicit, I-M-P-L-I-S-I-T. And it was an Israeli guy and I met him and he said, you know what? I can predict when an opportunity is gonna close in in CRM. Hopefully so your audience is familiar with CRM software and they create things called opportunities in, in CRM software and they represent deals that you know are, are sales deals. And this guy said, I can predict when when an opportunity is gonna close. And I said, No, nah, that's BS, you can't do that. And then he showed me. He showed me how he could predict it and with very little data. And I was like, wow. Like I said, look, I don't know if this really works, but if it does work, you're going to be change the game in terms of uh, CRM. And I knew that immediately within five minutes of speaking to him. Um, And so that was my second deal that I did after the uh, Indonesian farming deal. That was, uh, and what ended up happening with that deal was they ended up getting acquired by Salesforce for a couple hundred million, uh, and so they did very, very well. And I ended up, you know, uh, I, I put in a very small amount, but I ended up, you know, four xing, six xing my my initial investment on there, uh, which was just just absolutely incredible. And that's that's that was the danger because when you have a successful deal like that, you start to think you actually know what you're doing. And and so yeah. and so then that 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 was succeeded by a whole lot of very bad investments. But I learned a lot from every investment that 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 failed. But that was my second investment that I did prior to to starting the syndicate world um, and getting into the syndicate world.
0: Yeah, no, it's super interesting because uh, you know there's a there's a popular article from Tim Ferris where he says that you know uh, instead of spending you know hundred thousand dollars into MBA uh, like the MBA fund, you should have an angel fund. But 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 it's interesting that you did your MBA, you and you did focus on investing into into startups. But 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 what's uh, what's the usual amount of investments that you you did? Uh, you know when you're working with uh, companies like Zora.
1: Yeah, so personal investments. I mean, I started out very small. I started out, you know, twenty five hundred, a thousand. Um, and Gil Pencina said this, who I invested with for a very long time. He said, like anything, never bet more than you can afford to lose, right? Because these are very, very risky investments. And if anyone in your audience is considering investing, uh, assume when you're investing, you, you write it off, right? Just write yeah. it off. Because, because if, you, if you are investing uh, with, with the sole aim that you think you're going to 100 times your money, you're probably investing for the wrong reason, Right. Uh, because the chances that you're going to 100 times your money, uh, if you're making an investment of like $1,000, or, you know, a couple thousand dollars is very, very unlikely, right. Um, And so, you know, that, like, like anyone else, I started out very, very small. So 1000 $2,000, as I've gotten more confidence, and this is after uh, I've probably looked at over, Gosh, over the last 10 years, I've probably seen, you know, maybe 500 startups, maybe a 1000 startups, you know, that uh, most of which I didn't invest in, I've had the confidence now to start raising the amounts that I invest in. So now I write $5,000 checks, $10,000 checks, uh, for my, I did a crypto investment. I wrote a $15,000 check, right? And that's because I start to have conviction in my bets that I make. Um, either because I can, I can, you know, I can see very early on whether, whether this startup has the right stuff, right? No. And, and that's very difficult to do the earlier you go because there's nothing. There's no product. There's no revenue. <laughs> there's no, there, there might be only a deck. All they have is a, is a PowerPoint deck, right? And so you've got to look at that deck and say, can this thing be an acquisition can this thing be an exit of some kind right and i've started to have more confidence in that but having said that i still make mistakes like everyone else but i never bet more than i can afford to lose you know and you should be you should be investing for reasons other than just the monetary gain right yeah
0: so, uh, uh, i was just about to ask you you know what what other reasons should should people look at uh, you know investing other than the monetary reason is it more about learning about the industry is that yeah. the right reason yeah
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I, I, um, I remember speaking to some angel investors, and and uh, you know, when we uh, pre-COVID, when we used to have dinners with other people, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, and and I said, "What are your top three reasons for investing?" None of them said mon- money. None of them said money. They said uh, one guy said his number one reason was to be invited to cool dinners and parties. Uh, so that's a good enough reason, right? Uh, another guy said his, his reason was just to speak to, you know, intelligent people, smart people, people with great ideas, right? People that want to change the world and, you know, want to, want to go about doing it. Um, another guy said just simply to learn more, you know, learn more about the domain that he's mm-hmm. investing in or to learn more about, um, the particular company. That they're investing in, right? Because I mean, it's you're much more likely to get a CEO's time if you say, hey, you know, I backed you, even if it's a small amount, most CEOs and people don't realize this, most CEOs are very, very grateful for anyone backing them, right? They're very busy, right? And and don't get me wrong, like, there's a difference between whether you're investing 5000 and 5 million, but a CEO worth their salt, will even if you say, look, you know, I backed you for 5k. And, you know, I just want to ask you a few questions, they'll give you your time, any CEO worth their salt will give you their time because you back them when no one knew them, right? And yeah. and and they and they appreciate that, right? Most CEOs appreciate that. So. Yeah, well, super. That's
0: that's super insightful to know. And uh, you know, you talked about Gil uh, he He's like a legend when it comes to you know yeah. uh, Angelus indicates, How was the experience yeah. working with uh, Gil
1: in placement <laughs> <and laughs> Gil. Gil. Gil is a force of nature. Gil, if you're listening to this, hi. Uh, how are you doing? But, uh, Gil, um, you know, he was, he's a real force of nature. I mean, he, um, he, uh, he tells the story of how he got onto Angela syndicates where, he, uh, he was one of the first uh, kind of syndicate leads on that platform. And he launched a syndicate and he said he went to sleep one night after launching the syndicate and he didn't expect anything to come of it. He thought the next morning, you know, someone might give him, you know, $2,000, $5,000, $10,000. He woke up the next morning and found that uh, he had accumulated something like $250,000 of other people's money for, for, for this particular deal. And this was like, you know, we're talking, you know, like five, 10 years ago, you know? Um, and so he was like, wow, there's something here. He said, if, if, if people, random people on the internet were willing to give me $250,000 or something like that, I forget the exact number. Um, he goes, there's, there's definitely something here. And so then he went all in, he went all in on syndicates. He, his theory was to create a portfolio of syndicates. So he created a syndicate for just about every investment thesis that you could imagine. He created a crypto syndicate. He created a B2B SaaS syndicate. He created a B2C syndicate. He created a late stage syndicate. He created a, he created a a syndicate for any kind of thing that you could imagine. Right. And, and that was really, really successful, uh, you know, in terms of the number of deals that he did. Um, you know, I think that the SAS Syndicate was probably the number two syndicate in there. The the biggest syndicate was his own syndicate yeah. for a Flight Flight VC. but SAS Syndicate was well up there with the number two. And we had we had a team of people that were literally just looking at deals day in day out, trying to evaluate deals, bringing the best deals to our LPs. Um, you know, and and uh, all of that, and so I was I was helping to run the SaaS syndicate as as part of my duties, and that that's where I really cut my teeth on syndicates and how to get an LP base, how to use that LP base to then uh, do more investments. Right, um, it's all very much an art form, um, you know, in in trying to run a syndicate.
0: To have an interesting stat for you to you denote know that the founder of Beautiful Lives. Increase the social media presence by ten x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash social pilot to get a fourteen day free trial. Yeah, no, uh, and that's that's what you know. I wanted to understand uh, w- what's what's the secret behind running a syndicate, and you know how how do you how do you how do you reach out to LPs? How do you construct yeah. a deal? What what's a secret behind it? Uh,
1: there's, uh, yeah, I can't give away all my secrets, but but I will <laughs> say that it's it's it, a lot of it has having a celebrity helps is <laughs> what I'll say. So having a celebrity like Gil Pencino that was well known in the market, right? Um, that celebrity factor definitely helps in getting LP money, right? I mean, like any VC, you have you have two ends of the spectrum. You have deal flow, and then you have LPs, right? So you either, what you have to know to run a syndicate is what is your value add? Can you pick great deals? If you can pick great deals, then the LP money will come, right? Uh, or do you just know a lot of rich people? If you know a lot of rich people, then you'll have money to invest in great deals, right? So and, and then you don't have to worry about chasing great deals. You can just follow, follow rounds, right? Like find a round and say, hey, I'm going to put 100K into this round. Like, don't worry. And, you know, people want, want money you know no matter no matter what where they where they go so so you know i mean uh, i would say uh, a lot of it is very hard but you do need a base and and so how i started my syndicate was you know i took that base from the SaaS syndicate, and then I moved that over to Swell Ventures. So that's how I started my base of Swell Ventures, right? And I had this track record. And then now with Swell Ventures, I personally have connected on LinkedIn with every single one of my LPs or tried to, the ones that have accepted my connection, right? Right. And and so I like to keep in touch with them. I just sent out a deal note for a very uh, interesting deal in the event management space um, that I'm going to put personal money into um, called candywagon.io. Uh, that's a shout out to anyone that wants to co-invest with me, uh, in the, in the, in the deal. Um, but super interesting founder knows the event space. Um, I'm getting that same smell of, Oh, there could be something here and very interesting approach of, of, of how he's going to approach the event management space. And so, you know, I'm going to do a personal deal in that deal, and I'm going to share it with my LPs. Anyone's welcome to co-invest with me in that deal. Um, and I think he's going to do very well. He's going to at least be an acquisition, if not an IPO. So. Yeah, no, I think I think that's, that's super interesting. And
0: uh, you, you know, you talked about uh, you have experience in B two B SaaS, but what is the thesis behind Swell Ventures? Do you also look at you know the the deal which you mentioned about Candy and do you also look at event management uh, or a consumer based startup, or do you only focus on B
1: two B SaaS? Generally, I'll only look at B two B SaaS. Okay. Um, the having said that, if a if a deal is a good deal, I'll look at anything. <laughs> if, you've, if you've got Andresen and, Andres and Horowitz investing with you uh, as, your, as your lead, I'm definitely interested in that, you know, no matter, no matter who, what the deal is. But uh, generally, what I've learned is I focus on what I know, which is B2B SaaS businesses. I, I don't understand consumer businesses, to be, to be quite frank, uh, to this day. Um, I don't understand what causes a consumer to download an app and then you know, use it over a different consumer app. I try and stay out of that. But I know, I know businesses and I know business problems and i know when a when a, a company is actually solving a real business problem right um and so for that i i really uh you know think that um you know i have a good sense now of of what is a business problem and what is a startup if this startup is most likely going to solve that business problem at scale right um but um you know the one exception to that that i made is crypto and i've done a couple of crypto investments um mostly just through friends introducing me to the to the deals and when it sounded like an existing a great deal i have I've put some money in um so one one deal that was like that was uh a friend of mine introduced me and said hey you should meet the ceo he wants to create a crypto bank and i said okay that sounds interesting so i met this guy I went down into the mission district. I don't know if people know the mission district in San Francisco, but it's, it's equally very nice and very horrible. So I literally passed on my way to the company office, uh, a a pile of burning tires. It was a, a, a tires that were lit. Someone had lit on fire. And I, and I was like, okay, this is a rough neighborhood. And, uh, went, went to the CEO's office and he explained to me this idea. He said, look, you know, I have this idea that if you have crypto, you should be able to do something with it. You should be able to uh, put loans against it. You should be able to deposit it and earn interest. And I said, wow, again, I don't know if you can make this work, but if you can make this work, this is a a fantastic idea. And so again, I put a very limited amount with my amount, you know, thinking that don't bet more than you can afford to to lose. I put 5k of my personal amount. That company ended up being compound.finance. So if you go to that website, compound.finance, you'll see that they uh, have a coin now. And at one point, that coin was worth $800 per coin. Um, And so I got a certain amount of coins for my $5,000. And you can imagine when the coins go up to $800 per coin, just how much uh, of a return that was. And so that, again... That was, that was kind of, um, you know, the deal that makes you think you know everything. And then you realize you don't know everything and make a subsequent, you know, series of very bad deals after that, which (laughs) I I proceeded to do. Uh, but, but I, I truly think crypto is, is going to be amazing for, for the economy because it, it upends all traditional forms of investment because you can now monetize through the coin mechanism. The, the coin itself is your mechanism for investment and the mechanism for raising. You literally can get by with a little bit of pre seed money and then you get the money to to run the business through the coin offering itself right yeah. and and so then you don't need to do a traditional series b c d e right you can literally just raise enough money to get you through maybe for the life of the company you know through 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 the mechanisms of the coin and how the coin works um you know the unfortunate thing about crypto is that it's just so such a complex space these days is that you have to be in it full time to really understand it and so for me you know i'd love to do more crypto deals but it's just i'm not in i'm not in the industry day in day out looking at new startups new technologies but you really have to cuz it's just a cambrian explosion of of ideas of startups of and you know uh, whether whether this is going to win or that is going to win is such early days still uh, but you need to be in it full time to really understand it
0: i no, i think that's a that's a very interesting insight uh, because i'm very interested in crypto but I really like the concept of DAOs and the NFTs, but yeah. you know, uh, but uh, there's just a lot of noise about it. But I think, as you rightly pointed okay. out, you need to go deeper into it, understand yeah. uh, what are the fundamentals, and then uh, and you know,
1: understand. NFTs, to be honest with you, I still don't understand. I don't understand why people would pay three million for a digital image when you know that that image is so easily copyable. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. like like if it's a JPEG, well, I can copy the JPEG you know, uh pretty easily. But yeah, you know, there's some cachet with being the original owner of a of an NFT, you know, social proof. And I think yeah. that's what's driving a lot yeah. of it. But I I can't say that I really understand that space
0: uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely yeah, that's that's something I I'm I'm eager to learn from from others. But uh but yeah I mean you, you talked about uh doing due diligence but you also have a full-time job you know so how, how do you manage to do uh, due diligence for startups, along with a full time job, for your yeah, such yeah, a yeah. senior, you know, management role.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I I do it, you know, in my spare time, which is a very little uh, that I have. Yeah. But you know, on weekends and things like, and like I said, it's not, it's not a case of it's, you know, three deals a year, like you know, uh, thirteen deals a year or fourteen deals a year. It's more like two deals a year. And so it's only when those deals happen that I have to spend a lot of time doing due diligence and, and all of that. and And I will say, you know, uh, like like with most VCs, you start to get pattern recognition, right? Yeah. So, like I said, I've looked at maybe in my early days when I was when I was really uh, doing this this hardcore, and and I don't do it uh, any longer, and I probably should. I used to write deal notes uh, for every deal, and so I would I would look at it and I would say, okay, who are the customers? And I would go deep. I would say, like, who are the customers? What's the market? What's the product? Have I tried the product? Does the product actually do what it says? Right and and so i'd go very very deep and write a deal note because that's what you had to do to sell it to other people right i've noticed that now I've, i rely more on my pattern recognition so i'm more likely to look at it and go uh that space is a really crowded space and you know this is this is not i passed on another deal that um was a was a very good product it was it was um ml for um uh audio transcription So uh, basically, it would analyze your audio conversation like we we are doing here. And then it would tell you the topics, it would tell you the questions, it would basically, you know, output a summary of the conversation. So I looked at that deal. And I I looked a bit into the space, heavy with competitors. And also, I felt like the founders needed to be a little bit more strategic, right? Um, In terms of their thinking and how they were going to navigate you know, all these other competitors that were in audio transcription of which Zoom is one of them, you know, Zoom does audio transcription as well, you know, and their answer to that was, well, oh, well, they won't be able to do what we can do, you know, because it took us a year to do it. And I was like, well, you know, they probably could, you know, it's just that it's not a strategic priority. And then if it's not a strategic priority for them, why is it a strategic priority for you? You know, and so, you know, asking those sorts of thoughtful strategic questions tells me a lot. You know, because anyone can say, this is a problem, and I have a thing that solves this problem. Okay, I, I agree, your thing solves the problem, but is that a problem worth solving? Does anyone care? Is that, is that problem, is the way that you're solving that problem better than a manual way of solving that problem, like using audio transcription, right? I know I, for example, um, usually write notes during, during an audio transcription uh, uh, session, right? And I do that because my notes are, are easier. They bring out the relevant points than I think a machine ever could. So yeah. you immediately have in me a, a resistant user that's like, well, I'm not going to pay for something that automatically reads a conversation when I can just write down my notes. And by the way, that's free, right? Uh, that's free. I don't have to pay anything to do that. So now you have, to, you have to be 10 times better than me writing down notes in order for me to use your product. And so, you know, like, Thinking through that and thinking through the strategy of 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 how these people are, or how how these entrepreneurs are thinking about the problem tells you a lot and how, how they say it because it's not good enough to just say, here's a problem and I solve the problem. Well, that's great. There's a million problems in the world that need solving, and I'm very happy that you've solved one of them. But is your, the problem that you're solving worth solving? Is it something that people really care about? And that's a hard question to answer. Very hard
0: interesting, and uh, you know, you uh, you, st- you start putting a- uh, angel checks, and then you transition to to a syndicate. Is there a mindset change which is needed to transition? Uh, you talked about uh, putting a deal notes and all that, but uh, is it there- was there a significant you know mind change when you were handling money for other people when you were trying to build oh, a yeah. syndicate?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, I think when you um, are doing, and I do this for my, for my own deals, like when, when you're actually doing a deal that is um, very much uh, dealing with other people's money, you have to have uh, much more you have much more of a sense of a fiduciary duty right and so it behooves you to go very deep into into a deal right um so what i typically do is i'll especially for a seed deal um if it's a series a deal then i'll usually run it through my angelus syndicate um because you know series a you have metrics you have proof right they're very de-risked once you once you get to series a um still some risk but you know very much de risked if you're talking seed and pre-seed i usually Fish to see if there's any interest from, uh, from my, my group because um, the pre-seed deals and the seed deals are the hardest ones to get LPs for, but the deals that you're most likely to get into as a small-time investor like me uh, because the CEO doesn't, you know, like, like with most money, if, if, uh, if the CEO could get Andreessen Horowitz's money, he would or she would, right? Uh, but since they cannot, they, they are more than willing to talk to me to see if they can get my money. And so the pre-seed, seed deals are where I can get into deals. Um, and so, but the challenge with that is that LPs look at it and they're like, well, you don't, you don't have revenue and you don't have product. So why should I invest? And I'm, I'm saying, well, you should invest because I think this is a good deal. And here's why I think it's a good deal. And so you have to go through that fiduciary duty and say exactly why you think it's a good deal and, and do that research. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant
0: emails Minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of fifteen percent off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has twenty percent discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Uh, You know, interesting. You talked about uh, uh, about you know founders investing through you because there's an article from from an investor called uh Sakadoti Sac- Sac- uh, who's a CEO of Dream, who talked about uh, that you know he's he's a VP of product in a company and he can he can provide lot more value because of uh, you know him being an operator and not a full-time investor um, yeah do do you think uh, since you're you're an operator in a you know in in, in, a, in a product role in a company you can mm-hmm. add on more value to a founder because there's been oh, a lot of VCs don't add value I' just wondering. As an operator, since you also run a fund, uh, do you think uh, what's the sort of promise you can offer to a partner? Oh,
1: absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, product is one of those areas that touches all other areas. It touches sales. It touches CS. It touches support. It touches the founders. It touches strategy. It touches um, really all all parts of the organization. Are uh, and of course engineering. You know, the most important part, <laughs> maybe. Um, so, you know, it it as a product you get a lens into all other parts of the business, right? So I have a good lens into my current uh uh, uh um startups go to market, right? Our go to market strategy and what we're planning there. And B2B SaaS is very often very much about your go to market strategy. You do need a product and the product has to has to has to do what it says, but the B2B SaaS market is so saturated, right? The chances of you actually presenting something new that no one has ever done before in B2B SaaS is very, very unlikely. What is more likely is that there is an existing, uh, very ancient incumbent, right? That uh, everyone hates, that everyone would love to get off, but no one has provided an alternative to them, right? That's usually far more common in B2B SaaS. And so as a product person, I'm able to look at that, your, your strategy and say like, okay, You know, you're either creating, you're either going to come up with a go to market strategy that says you're creating something new, right? And here's why it's new, or you're doing a hand to hand combat against an existing incumbent. And if you're doing hand to hand combat, your strategy needs to be very different than if you're deciding to create something new. All from you know your investment in branding uh, to your investment in how many AEs you should hire to um, you know how should you be thinking about your website right um, all of that is something that I can help with you know as a as a as a as a VP of product right because I, I get exposed to those go to market aspects and that that's not even um, aside from the engineering aspects right how do you architect a product uh, what are the features that you should be focusing on your product and how do you link customer value to those features that you're building right that's what a, that's what a product manager does fundamentally and all of that i can help with too and so product is one of those rare areas where i think you can add a lot of value um especially for a founder or for an entrepreneur
0: so interesting and uh, you know wanted to talk about your syndicate how much of an allocation do you do you ask for each deal uh, from, from the founder and from from your fellow investors
1: yeah so so generally in terms of the the allocation um uh you know, I uh, I can, it's really more constrained by my LPs, what I can raise for my LPs, as opposed to what the, the, the founder is willing to give me. I recently did a Series A deal um, in a company called Databook, um, which your audience can look up. And, and they, the founder asked me, he said, can you, uh, I can give you an allocation of a million. Can you fill it? And I said, I don't think I can fill an allocation of a million dollars. I said, I can do, I can take a zero off that. I can do about a hundred thousand, uh, which is what I ended up doing. I ended up doing a little over a hundred thousand in his uh, series a, which was a fantastic, uh, fantastic investment. Um, they're, they're on track to do some, some really good numbers. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it very much is a case of, uh, 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 series A, I can I can do an allocation of about 100, maybe 200k if it's a if it's a really hot deal. But other than that, you know, it's really about 100 and below is what I do for for Series, uh, you know, seed or pre-seed is is uh, what kind of the allocations that I'm looking at at my level.
0: And and how do you give the updates to LPs? Do you uh, it's like a, a quarterly or a monthly cadence that yeah, you?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I try and uh, I'll I'll share whatever updates the CEO gives me. Right, and so CEOs are constrained for time, so some CEOs are more um uh, more uh, communicative with their LPs. But any, any update from the CEO that shared with me, I share with the, with the LPs. And also, I try and do, even regardless of that, I try and stay in touch at least yearly with the startup so that I, I can at least do a yearly summary of, uh, for the LPs of how their investment is going. Um, you know, and it's, it's hard because like sometimes you'll put your money in and you won't hear anything until, until the startup either fails or exits. Um, and sometimes even if it fails, you won't hear about it. Um, and so, you know, it's important to keep those communications up with LPs and keep my name in front of them. Um, I now, you know, I'm planning to do a quarterly newsletter for my uh, LPs just with my thoughts on B2B SaaS, right? Um, and generally staying in touch with them as much as I can, you know, for their investments and, you know, and, and generally trying to be a good, uh, have good fiduciary duty with, with the money that they've given me to invest.
0: Interesting. And, you know, another thing which I've seen on angel syndicates is like a uh, lot of co-syndicated deals with other, you know, uh, syndicate leads. Uh, yeah. uh, and that I've heard uh, really helps in building traction and, you know, but but do you, do you, do you share deals with uh, other co-syndication
1: model? Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, I haven't done one yet, but I'm very, very open to the idea um, because once you co-syndicate a a deal, you get access to all their LPs as well. Um, And so it's a great way. And and naturally you have to share carry in that case, but that's usually a good price to pay to, uh, because my, my aim is to help the entrepreneur. Right. And if the entrepreneur uh, wants to raise, you know, uh, 500,000, then I would probably go into a co-syndicate situation. Um, you know where I could leverage the the LPs of another group as well. You know, um, but that would be that would be kind of my idea with co syndication. I'm very much in favor of co syndication. I think it's a great idea.
0: Yeah, I think that's super useful. And you know, I heard uh, Peter Livingstone, who also runs a you know popular syndicate, I was just call unpopular VC, uh, and he said that uh, uh, that the next Sequoia could be the angel syndicate. Uh, do do you agree on that statement?
1: That's a that's an interesting statement. I mean, everyone likes to predict the 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 disruption of venture capital, um, but you know the the funny thing is is that the I read an interesting article the other day that said crypto, which everyone said was going to disrupt VC, is actually being financed by VC. Now, if you look at um, you know, who owns most of the proto- the 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 new startups, the protocols, it's all centralized. Um, in a in a few hands, and that, that those hands are usually the old guard, you know, of VC, and so um, so I think that you know I think a lot of people um, will graduate. Um, you know, from, from being angelist syndicates into being true VCs. Um, you know, but I don't think it's, it's necessarily going to disrupt the VC industry. I think, I think a lot of people, but, you know, there's a lot of flexibility that you get from the, the angelist syndicate method and, and the exposure that they give you to LPs as well. Um, is really quite massive that a lot of people don't want to. Um, you know, become, raise their own fund. I have a lot of friends that have raised their own funds or tried to raise their own funds after doing syndicates. It's not easy. You would think that, oh, you know, just because I've done a successful syndicate, I can immediately raise a $5 million fund. It doesn't work like that. Um, The way that institutional money will look at you when you're trying to raise your own fund is very different to how individuals look at you and how much they're, and how they're willing to give you money. Right. And so even some very well-known VCs, uh, uh, syndicates, I know syndicate leads, I know have tried to raise funds and failed. um, you know, simply because they don't have the track, the traditional VC track record that, that you need, uh, you know, because once you do have that track record, then it's easier to raise your second fund, your third fund, your fourth fund, but, but to raise your first fund is very, very difficult, you know, yeah. even, even coming from a syndicate. So, yeah. And, and, and you know that's that's my follow-up question. And is uh, do you,
0: do you look yourself to transition into a full-time VC role, or, or do you, would you want to be an operator and you know run this? Oh,
1: uh, I'd love to do VC full time. Uh, if 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 anyone's willing to give me you know an LP that's uh, willing to give me a couple million to go out and spend, uh, I would love to do VC full time. Um, but you know to to the like I have a friend. Um, that raised his own first fund. He's now raising a second fund. And, uh, he would, he, he said to me, you know, Nathan, I finally feel relaxed that I can start paying myself a salary, uh, with his second fund. <laughs> and so his first fund, which was about 5 million, he couldn't pay himself a salary, uh, you know, even from the fees from a, from a $5 million fund. And so, you know, he, he, uh, you know, it's, I would love to do it full time, but in order to do it full time, you know, you really need uh, to have significant numbers in terms of your, your fund to, you know, ger- therefore generate, you know, your operating expenses. Right. Um, And, and so, you know, I think it'll be a while before I can, I can do that, but I would love to do it full time. I think, I think it's, there's nothing more fun than investing. So. Yeah. No, I, I totally understand that. And,
0: uh, you know, I quickly want to do the top three, uh, what's your favorite business book?
1: My favorite business book. Oh, gosh. Um, I have it right here, actually. It's um, Brad Feld, Jason Mendelssohn Venture Deals. So I don't know if you can can see it. Oh, oh, this is a podcast, so people can't see it. But Brad (laughs) Feld, Jason Mendelssohn Venture Deals. And this was the first book I read when, um, you know, like how to uh, how to raise money as a as an entrepreneur and both from the VC perspective. And this was this was invaluable. In terms of like how to how to raise money and and all the things to think about and the structures and and you know this uh, the, these weird things called um, you know options and and how those work and that was that was the best book that I'd ever read I think on the topic.
0: Interesting. I, I had Brad uh, at, at my I think the eighty episode and I think he's one of the uh, one of the nicest people who
1: have come <laughs> and you know uh, big fan of Brad. This is this is what you realize: the earlier that you invest, the nicer you tend to be. <laughs> the, late, the late, the 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 later you invest, the more of an asshole you tend to be. Because you know, in the seed game, everyone's kind of got to be friends with everyone else. Because I mean, it's too it's too early to be you know prima donnas about about anything really. But I've noticed that once you get into Series A and Series B, um, especially you you get to real real VCs that do investment. That's where that's where shit gets cutthroat. Um, you know, and then they'll say things like, you know, I'll bring a deal to a VC and say, oh, so you know, do I get anything for bringing this deal to you? And they say, no, you get nothing for bringing this deal to us. And I'm like, and I'm like, really? Like, because you know, I, I don't even get care. No, you get nothing. We share nothing. <laughs> and I'm like, well, okay, uh, I'm not bringing you any more deals, like you know, and so. You know, but that's just the way. That's the uh, later rounds. That's just the way things work, right? The more allocation that you get, the more percentage you get of the company. That's the bigger exit they get, and mm-hmm. you know they've they've got a return that they have to give to their LPs and their funds. So I can understand why they're why they're so cutthroat. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally understand that. And you know, if you could go back in time when you when you started investing uh, with flight ventures and swell ventures,
1: what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Wow, what's the one thing I would have focused on? Um, you know, I, I would have um, honestly tried to have more conviction in my opinions. Um, you know, I, when I was initially investing, I was like, oh, you know, I'm investing $5,000. And, you know, will I ever get it back? And that was a lot of money to me at the time. And it still is. It still is a lot of money for a lot of people, you know. But the one thing that, that I, I would go back is to have conviction in, in your opinions. If you truly have done the research, if you truly have looked at something, don't worry about what other people think. Have conviction in your opinions and back it with money, right? Because if you, if if I had not invested in that in that Salesforce uh, acquisition, you know, I would have I would have probably thought, wow, you know, I really don't know anything about investing. But that proved that I know of something. I know something. You know, I still may not know a lot, but I know something. And especially if you if it's a domain that I know, like CRM or B two B SaaS, I probably know a lot more than another person. Right. Yeah. And if I can capitalize on that information asymmetry, then I have an edge in the market, right, that, that other people don't. And that's what I say. Uh, you know, that's why I don't trade a lot in public markets. I put my money in stocks and bonds and, you know, I keep everything safe. But, you know, I don't play stocks because I, my belief is that someone on the other end of that trade knows more about that trade than me. Right. And, and if that's the case, there's probably a Goldman Sachs analyst that's thinking, wow, like I'm doing this trade and I'm just, you know, completely making fun of this other person on the other end of this trade, you know, because I know more than they do and they probably do, you know, and, and that's why, that's why I don't trade stocks or, or do day trading because, you know, I, I just feel that it's not an, it's not a market in which I can have an edge, whereas this, I feel I can have an edge because I do it as my day job.
0: So, yeah, yeah. Super so, so interesting. And uh, do you have any favorite online tools? Example: Gmail, Slack, Zoom.
1: No, those are those are all the regular tools. I mean, uh, obviously, I go for cheap and free. So <laughs> I use I use Mailchimp uh, to keep in touch with my LPs. I use the AngelList platform. Right. Um, uh, I use Squarespace for my website. Um, you know, so just all the regular tools that any small business uses. Um, I use. I've I've looked into CRM for. Uh, VC firms and things like that, but those are too expensive for me at, at my my kind of level, you know. So anything anything cheaper, free, I'm willing to use. Anything that costs money, probably not. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a good one. I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, nathan, what is the best way people can reach out to you and, and know more about Swell Ventures?
1: Yeah, please uh, please go to either my website uh, dnc.services, or just email me at nathan at dnc uh, that's D for dog, and for Nathan, C for cat, dot services, Nathan at dnc.services. Um, I want to hear from anyone that would want to be on my deal flow. I syndicate everything that I see. Everything that I see, you'll see. So, um, And obviously, any any great deals, if there's entrepreneurs listening to this that want to pitch me an idea, just email me and I'm willing to listen.
0: Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes, Nathan. Uh, thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Yeah. Thank you, Rohit. And
1: I look forward to hearing the podcast.